Alrighty, good morning, Highland. Good morning, church. Hope you've had a good weekend so far. Um, I'm just checking to see, are, are the doors locked? Okay, I gave my keys to Ty. Um, we're gonna have a baptism to start off our morning. Um, this kind of was more of a last minute thing, but we're always gonna make time for that. So bear with us for a moment. One of the, the doors to the baptistry is locked. I don't know why that is, but we want to make sure that door is wide open for anyone. And if you want to get baptized this morning, let's, we have some time. You can come and talk to us. Um, so as they are getting ready and getting uh, set and opening up the doors, uh, I'm going to let you all know a little bit about where we are as a church right now in the sermon series that we've been in. Uh, we have been in this series called Deliver Us. Uh, and if you have been coming, you would have heard the first section of that was about deliver us from the enemy, from the devil. And Shane talked to us about how uh, the, de- the devil's main uh, strategy against us is to lie and get us to believe lies in our mind about who we are, about who God is. And so this middle section is the second part of the series, and we're talking about the flesh. This is where the lies in our head then become lived out in our bodies. We begin to live out the lies that we begin to believe. Uh, and then the third part will be about how lies being lived out in the world, socially. So uh, this morning, we're going to think about how we're living out certain lies in our bodies. How you, right now, most likely, uh, if you're like me, are, are living certain lies in your mind, in your body. Uh, so for some of you, that may be that you were not very kind to your spouse. If you have a spouse, you may not have been very kind to your spouse. Uh, maybe you lost your temper. You were not showing grace and love. And so you might be coming in this morning having a, a weight on you. Maybe that lie in your head is, I'm not the spouse I should be. And maybe there's some truth in the ways you're wanting to grow into the person you're becoming. But then that, that, that lie, which is often pulled in with some kind of truth, would say, I'm not a good spouse. I'm not worthy to be this person's husband or wife. Or maybe for you, it might be that um, you had a bad week uh, not resisting certain temptations or whatever it is that your struggle is like mine is. And you're coming in here feeling like I am alone in whatever struggle I'm in. That's a lie. I, I don't even belong here. I, maybe I should just sneak out the back door. So in that space, we want to meet you right where you are, meet me right where I am, and say what is true is that you are welcome here. You are beautiful creation. You are a brilliant creation that God's purposes are being worked through even in this morning, in this moment. Uh, and, and that can sometimes get in our way of us being able to participate as the body in worship. So I want to invite you to resist that lie and to worship this morning. I want to invite you to sing. I'm going to invite you actually now, if you're able, to stand with your bodies as a protest against the enemy that you are going to let your body show what it is that you believe. So let me pray over us this morning. And then we're going to have a baptism, I think. Great, 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 great. Um, Here's our prayer this morning. Lord, our desires get misaligned so often. We find solace and distraction and a false sense of control. We often can numb ourselves as a poor substitute for your peace or reassurance. 
Lord, how often we choose devotion to lesser things rather than you. Lord, your word says that you forgive and you deliver and you redeem. And we need that and we want that. Help us to notice you this morning, the God who is with us in this very moment. Help us to see you this morning, the God who sees us even in this very moment. And Lord, help us to be present in this moment, not worrying about the future or the past, but being right here where we are. Lord, this morning we choose to lift our hands to tell our body a story. We choose to sing as an act of training our tongue. We ask that you would meet us in these small acts of obedience, Holy Spirit. We've heard it said that long obedience changes the course of history. So help us to start by making a decision right now to be obedient, to change the course of this day. And the church said, amen. So we have a great way to start this morning. We have a baptism we're going to have. I just met uh, Adeline Steely. Um, and, and so we're glad to have you here. They've been visiting with us for about a month. And so I'll hand it over to Brian and then we'll continue in just a moment. Adeline, this is a special day. It's a special day because you're making a very special decision. Among many things that are going to happen in these next few moments, God's going to work in your life and he's going to do a miracle in your life. He's going to forgive you of your sins. He's going to bury your old life. And he's going to raise you to walk again in new life. And you're going to have the Holy Spirit to help you walk in that new life. Isn't that great? <laughs> That's right. And it's appropriate that we do that in front of this group of people today because another thing God's going to do is he's going to add you to this body of Christ. You're going to be a part of this body of Christ. And so you can count on them and they can count on you. You're getting a second family today and that, that's pretty good news, isn't it? Yes. That's right. That's right. You guys can't see, but Adeline is very pregnant. And so... <laughs> This is appropriate that you do this at this time because your young child will be born into this family, right? Yes. And isn't that wonderful? Yes. That's right. Well, I wanted to read a passage out of Romans chapter 6 that talks about what happens at this moment of baptism. Paul said, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were baptized into his death so that we might live through him, raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we may live a new life. So that's a wonderful promise. I need to ask you to confess your faith before this group, before God, before all of creation. Do you believe that Jesus is the King, the Son of God? Yes. Amen. And do you want him to be the Lord of your life? Yes. Amen. Amen. So now because you've made those confessions, I want to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit so that you'll receive the forgiveness of your sins, so that you will walk in newness of life, and so that you will receive the Holy Spirit to help you walk in that newness of life. Okay? All right. Just kind of hold your nose. There you go. And Adeline, you 
you, you ask that we say a blessing over you, and I wanted to say this blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless you.
Abraham. Your word remains the same. 
You saw me at my very worst When I expected disappointment Love was all I My sin was deep, your grace was deeper, my shame was wide, your arms are wider, my guilt was great, but your love was greater still. You ran to me when I was near.
burn My shame is wide But your arms are wider My guilt was great But your love was greater still We sing that together as a church We lift our voices My sin say, Lord, hear our prayer. The screen will prompt you. And Lord God, we pray this morning a prayer of gratitude for our His Kids ministry, who every week blesses our kids through presence, teaching, and worship. Our volunteers and staff make up the beating of this church, and Lord, remind them of their belovedness to you and to us. And we pray to the Lord, Lord, we pray for the city of Abilene and specifically for our local government. We pray for your kingdom to break through in our city and that your compassion for all people would become evident through our civil action. And we pray to the Lord, Lord, hear our prayer. We pray also for the uh, worldwide church as we ask you to restore the world. Our hearts are especially with those who are persecuted and for those working day in and day out to minister or be a light in places where they may feel alone or unseen. And we pray to the Lord, Lord, hear our prayer. Now please join me as we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Well, welcome to the table. In just a moment, the communion trays will be passed, and there are two cups stacked together. One holds the bread and the other the juice. If you will, hold those until all have been served, and we'll take communion together. There is a kind of bond that frees. We witnessed it this morning on Adeline's face. Communion unites us with the person of Jesus Christ. It recalls our identity that we put on in baptism. As we drop the bread on our tongues and taste the wine in our mouths, we might imagine that we're taking Christ into ourselves. And we are. But in another wonderfully mysterious way, Jesus is taking us into himself. As he said in John 6, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood remain in me and I in them. So allow Jesus this morning to take you into himself, to consume you, and to be united with the human and divine person of Jesus one who knows our struggles, who knows our sins, and who offers a life in a bond that sets us free. Every time we partake of the communion together, it's special and it's sacramental. It's a privilege. Uh, today is, uh, on top of that, uh, a special day because this is World Communion Day. So in Lebanon and in Thailand and in Brazil, and in Abilene and everywhere around the world, uh, Christians are partaking of the Lord's Supper today, and we do that recognizing the body of Christ. Servers, will you come forward?
Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your worldwide church. And as we partake this morning and live this week, may we remain in you and you in us. We pray through the name of Jesus. Amen. The body of Christ. the blood of Christ. The Lord be with you. children with 
your burdens, life's confusions, fears and pain. Leave them at the cross of Jesus, take instead his kingdom's reign. Bring your thirst for he will quench them. He alone will satisfy all our longings. Find attainment when to self we gladly die. My name is Ashley Crisp, and I'm the children's minister here, and I have the privilege of getting to know our friends from birth all the way up to fifth grade every single week. My friends that are ages three years old to kindergarten, it is now time for you to head to His Kids Worship out these back doors, and Miss Suzetta is there to greet you, and I will be there very quickly. So finding a place to connect and belong is very important to us here. If you are interested in hearing more about who we are, how to get involved, or how to become a member, I invite you to fill out a connect card. You can do that two ways. You can either do, fill out the one that's in the seat back in front of you and put it in the offering boxes in the back of the room, or go to our website, highlandchurch.org connect and fill out an online connect card. Either way, someone in our office will reach out to you this week. We would also like to invite you to participate in our blended worship survey if you haven't already. You can scan this QR code and it will take you right there, or you can access the link through our social media accounts. Or if you prefer a paper copy, those can be found at the info desk in the atrium. We ask that you return that quickly, please. So today is the first day of October, so you know that means the countdown to Fall Fest has begun. We are excited for Fall Fest in a couple weeks on October 29th. And in the meantime, if you are able, please consider donating bags of individually wrapped candy for our community to enjoy on that day. There's buckets around the auditorium for you to place your donations. Now, women of Highland, this is for you. You are invited to join us as we gather for dinner. Groups of eight to 10 women will meet in homes for a meal, conversation, and prayer once a month, starting this month in October, and those groups will continue through May. No matter your age, no matter what you think, 
you could bring to the group, there is a place for you at the table, and I encourage you to consider joining one. If you would like more information or would like to sign up to be part of a group, go to our website, highlandchurch.org events, and find this graphic behind me. And when you click on it, you'll see an option to go to the sign-up form or to contact Kathy Moore if you have any questions. Through your generosity of your time, talent, and treasure, God's work to restore Highland, Abilene, and the world is possible. There are three ways to give. You can text to give, give online, or placing your gift in the offering boxes along the back wall. If you're able, please stand for the reading of the word. This morning, I'll be reading from Galatians 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Listen, I, Paul, am telling you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Once again, I testify to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the entire law. You who want to be reckoned as righteous by the law have cut yourselves off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Charles Dickens wrote the classic Christmas Carol, which has been turned into several different movies and shows. You may be familiar with the Disney version with Mickey Mouse or maybe Patrick Stewart as Scrooge or another version that's come out, but most of us haven't read it. But I want to begin today by thinking about a quote from the work. I wear the chain forged, I forged in life, replied the ghost. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I I girded it on my own free will and of my own free will I wore it. Is its pattern strange to you? In this context is, is Ebenezer Scrooge and, and he's visited by his former partner, Jacob Marley, except Jacob Marley has been dead for years, but this is going to be an interesting night for Scrooge. Jacob Marley is, is the portent, he's the prophet, and he, he tells Ebenezer that he's going to be visited by, by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. Marley is the first. And as Marley walks into the scene, as you read the story, he can barely move because he's, he's bounded by chains that drag behind him that are wrapped all over his body. 
And the chains, maybe if you look closely, they kind of look like a charm bracelet, but much, much, much too large. The chain links themselves were lock boxes, ledger books, deeds, and heavy purses wrought in steel. We bear the chains we forge in our lives. Not just as Jacob Marley does in death, but right here, right now, in this very moment, in our lives. We're in a series called Deliver Us. And what we're looking at is the lies. The lies we believe from the evil one that take root in our bodies and disorder our passions. And the disorder is affirmed by a bent and chaotic culture leading to the alienation of our souls. Have no doubt, brothers and sisters, this is the battle for your very self. Many people don't know this fact, but... When Charles Dickens was writing A Christmas Carol, his intention wasn't to create a Christmas classic that would be viewed once a year by your family with popcorn. He had visited the factories in London, and he had seen the 11-year-olds, the 9-year-olds, and the 8-year-olds who were working in the factories, children with small hands that could fit into the small parts of machinery the children who had been maimed by that machinery. And so he chose to write this allegory of sorts, this this fable, this moral tale that would help to change the hearts and the minds of the English back toward their children and not just to the myth and the lie of productivity. My name is Shane Hughes. I'm one of the ministers here. If this is your first day here at Highland, I'm delighted that you're here. Please, I hope you experience our hospitality and our our welcome. This is a good time for you to be a part of what's happening here at Highland. We we are serious about one thing. Here at Highland, we we are serious about doing the work that it takes to partner with God to restore our church and our city and our world. Where we see God working, that's where we want to end up. That's where we want to join him. And if you were here last week, then you know that we, we had some work to take home with us, some work that I ask you to do. I ask you to, to, to try out fasting and confession. And I, I hope you gave it a shot this week. Maybe you just skipped one meal. Maybe you were brave enough to skip two, or maybe you went all day. Maybe you were able to have that conversation with someone whom you trust and you care for, who cares for you, and you were able to kind of open up your heart a little bit, bear your soul. I hope you took it seriously. And the staff this week, we debated about whether we ought to build like some sort of confessional here in the building. You know, like maybe you might find it a cathedral in Europe. One of those, you know, two room little spaces where we could sit and we could tell one another our deepest longings, reveal the sin that's in our lives. And we we debated for a while, half seriously, whether we need that sort of furniture in our church. And ultimately we decided that we didn't need it. Because we were hopeful that confessional would happen over chips and salsa at Los Arcos or guacamole at Miguel's or maybe a burrito at La Popular. I don't know why those are all Mexican restaurants. That's not the only goal. But, but over a cup of coffee at a kitchen table or a walk in the park. That the city of Abilene would become our confessional. 
as we shared our lives with one another. Not because we have some sort of burden of guilt or the weight of shame might be too oppressive, although that could be true. Not because our goal is to become some sort, of, sort of moral perfectionist elitists. Not because we have this stunted view of grace where we're afraid that one sin that's not confessed will send us to hell before we die. Not because we need the, the tools of the super spiritual or elite and they're the only ones that bother with this. It's because we believe in the lavish nature of God's love. That Christ's love on the cross covers a multitude of sins. And as we become more and more aware of that love, it transforms us, it changes us, it restores us. And so what we've tried to do the last three weeks is, is flip the idea of fasting and confession on its head as we've experienced it in the past. Not as some sort of obligation that, that just because it says when you fast, not if you fast, means you have to endure it. Not, not anything like that. But they're invitations to God's intimacy. Fasting sets you free from the slavery of your own body's desires. It gives your mind a chance to say no. Confession sets you free from the isolated prison cell of malignant sin. Sin is so isolating. It drives you to a place where it's only you. And, and Paul is clear about this. Make no mistake in the book of Galatians. Paul is absolutely clear. He says, crucify the flesh. Not only kill it, but put it on a spectacle. Make the disordered desires in your heart a mockery in your life so that it is not only dead, but even the idea of it is repugnant. Repugnant. Repugnant? Whatever. I got it. Go, keep going. All right. And so what I want us to think about is this idea of Christian freedom and the nature of freedom today. And I think this freedom takes on several forms, and, and Paul begins to address this in Galatians chapter 5. If you have your Bible, let's turn there. What's interesting about the book of Galatians is that it's not necessarily written to a city or to a person like most of Paul's works. It's written to a region. It would be as if Paul wrote to West Texas, it's went to a group of churches that he planted and then he left and others came along who, who, who began to mislead the Galatians. Paul didn't tell you the full gospel, they might argue. There's more. You need to start following the Torah. That's how you please God. Begin by obeying the Sabbath and don't eat certain foods and keep certain holidays and get circumcised. That's how you're going to please God. And Paul writes this letter to say no. I love the way that Leah captured the spirit of Galatians 5. You can almost feel the frustration in Paul's voice. You can imagine that when he's writing this letter, there are veins beginning to bulge in his neck and on his forehead. And maybe he's almost yelling at the scribe as he's writing down the words. Paul says, no. If you hang anything else on salvation other than the cross of Christ, you are rejecting the grace of God. This gospel is no gospel at all. And then in this case, using the Torah in this way is rejecting God's intent from the beginning. And it's interesting that the, the Galatians, they come from pagan roots. They come from the, the supposed freedom of the irreligious paganism in their former lives it's really no different than the bondage of having to earn God's approval by their own works. 
Because both of the ways are avoiding Christ and the freedom that Christ brings. We can reject him by saying, forget you, I don't need a savior, I make my own rules, like a pagan. Or by saying, I don't need a savior, I can make God like me by doing all the things that he wants. But neither of these ways of living are really the freedom that we long for. And so there's this, this road and there's ditches on either side. And Paul is trying to help these churches navigate and go right down the middle to experience what true Christian freedom is. And the reality is that Christian freedom is, is different, different than the typical Western view of freedom. It's different than the, the way that our culture understands freedom. Most people in our culture today that freedom is, is being able to do what you want, when you want to do it, with who you want to do it, with no authority ruling your life. Freedom in our Western culture means to have as few rules as possible and a few laws as possible so that you have the most amount of freedom so that you can do whatever you want. But this sense of freedom has side effects. Being free from others also entails alienation from others. And you've experienced freedom in different ways and different experiences in your life. Maybe it was the moment when you turned 16 or got your driver's license. Sometimes that happens together. It doesn't always. There was this moment where I turned 16. I finally got my license. My mom threw me the keys and told me to go to King Supers, which is the grocery store uh, near us, and uh, go pick up some things for her. She thought that she was giving me an errand. What she was giving me was the open road. Right? Because I, I, got, I got to the turn and I knew that King Supers was left, but I could go straight. I could go right. I could go anywhere I wanted in the city of Denver. I could go anywhere I wanted in the world. I went left, but it was freedom. <laughs> or if you're, if you're brand new to college, there's going to come this moment. You're going to take a weekend trip with your friends. You're going to go to a friend's house in Dallas or Austin or Houston. You're going you're to travel somewhere and your parents are going to have no idea where you are. You just get to go because you want to. Or you could go get a tattoo, whatever it is. Freedom. It's, you can experience it. This, this is what freedom, you think freedom is, but it's really just a glimpse at autonomy. Freedom is actually something much deeper, much more real. In Galatians 5, 13, Paul continues, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. G.K. Chesterton would say it this way. Most modern freedom is at root fear. It's not so much that we are too bold to endure rules. It's rather that we are too timid to endure responsibilities. The philosopher and intellectual Edmund Burke, speaking and reflecting on the founding of our nation, says the following. Men and women are qualified for civil liberty in the, in the exact proportion to their disposition to put moral chains upon their own appetites in proportion as their love to justice is above their greed, in proportion that their soundness, soundness and sobriety of understanding is above their vanity and presumption. In proportion, they're more disposed to listen to the counsel of wise and good people in preference to the flattery of idiots. 
Society cannot exist unless a controlling power upon will and appetite be placed somewhere, and the less of it there is within, the more there must be without. It is ordained in the internal constitution of things that people of intemperate minds cannot be free. Their passions forge their fetters. And I, I think he's right. I think there's too much in government of, of those that are greedy seeking their own gain for, for whatever cause. Those who are seeking fame or, or vanity for its own cause. Those that are seeking power and control without controlling their own appetites. But what Paul speaks to and what the New Testament points to is that there is a relational constraint of love. Because I love my family, there are things that I can't do. Because I love my partner, there are things that I don't do and other affections that I don't pursue. And this is the love that God demonstrates. And it, it begins at the beginning of Scripture. You see it from the very beginning. You don't have to go very far. He is betrayed in the garden in Genesis 3 and chooses to react in restraint, and that's love. He's betrayed by the world in Genesis 5, betrayed by Israel in the wilderness, betrayed by Judas at the cross. God has more than enough reason to wipe the slate clean and start over in each of those circumstances, but God is not free in the Western sense. God is love. And there's a difference. And you see this how Paul continues his thought. Continuing in verse 13. You were called to freedom, my brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge the flesh, but through love become enslaved to one another. Serve one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour, and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And I, I can imagine there are a hundred different ways that we are bitten and devoured by one another. From the knives in the back of a corporate boardroom on the 145th floor as we struggle to climb the ladder to the intentional indivisibility of the beggar standing below on the street. There are a million different ways that we bite and devour one another. But in this text, Paul seems to believe that the opposite of indulge the flesh is love your neighbor as yourself. And there are different types of love that we see in the New Testament, different Greek words used to delineate different ways that people relate to things. Friendship is philos and romantic love is eros and the love of a parent, self-sacrificing love is agape. But I'm not sure it matters very much to delineate these things because a lie that tells me that freedom is the highest virtue and that a body disordered to merely, is disordered merely to satisfy the cravings and fleshly desires, there's a lot, there's not a lot of daylight between I love to eat cookies and I love my boyfriend and girlfriend or girlfriend or even spouse. If the way that you treat them, consuming them by your own appetite is the same. There's no difference in those kinds of loves if you treat them the same. But within you, there's something more. When you have the spirit of Christ, 
When you experience the baptism that comes through acknowledging that Jesus is Lord, there is a deeper drive in you forgiveness. There is a deeper drive in you that constrains your choices so that you are free to love others. There's a deeper spirit that is implanted in you that moves in you and calls you to something more than just your preference. The Western view of freedom does not solicit obligation. I mean, why should you get married if it limits your freedom of partner Why should you give money to a church or any organization if it limits your freedom of resources? Why do you commit to a body of believers if it it limits you to working out conflicts, whether they're important or they're petty, and learning to love one another? I am suspicious of the believer that claims both spiritual maturity and a complete lack of groundedness in a church community. Because what that believer is missing is love. And it's impossible to miss in Galatians and and the words of Burke. And and as this flows throughout the idea, this, this way that we are bound to one another, to serve one another, to be slaves to one another. And I think in our context in the U.S., slavery has a a bad connotation and it, and it should because chattel slavery in the American South was a sinful enterprise that used the backs of Africans to build an economic structure of society. It created 400 years of racism. It is America's abhorrent original sin of which we have not collectively confessed and we have certainly not repented. But Paul seems to wrestle with this idea of slavery. Find the right master. It seems to be that's what what Paul is is leaning us toward, this point us to find the right master because you're going to serve something. Peter says it even better. He's speaking about false teachers who promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to depravity. He says people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. And this is why Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit. That's how he finishes this, this section of Galatians. Keep up with the Spirit. Walk like soldiers walk together in time in the Spirit. Follow the Spirit where the Spirit leads. So if the trail goes left or right, you're close enough to know where your master's leading you. Because like Jacob Marley, the ghost in Christmas Carol, we too are forging chains. But may the chains we forge bind us to God's love. May they be what Jesus calls light and easy. And instead of ledgers and letter boxes, lock boxes, uh, may they be love and joy, peace, patience, and all the rest. Robert Robinson, when he was only 22 years old, he penned the words to Come Thou Fount. It's the song we sang right before the sermon. And this is where I want us to close today. He writes, let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. And then here's my heart. O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. The fetter is the chain. Bind ourselves. His prayer is bind ourselves to God. If we're going to tie ourselves to anything, let's tie it to the right master. 
The seal was the wax glob that would go on the letter in the ancient Near East and in in the first century. And then there was an impression on top of it of a signet ring. And it ensured a sense of confidentiality because if the seal was broken, you know that the letter had been read by somebody else. It also gave a seal a sense of authenticity because you know that the person who had written it, there was only one of those signet rings. The letter was meant for one person. There's also this sense of being sealed. This means that it's being closed and it's not being opened. That it's being saved for something. So let our hearts be sealed for one God. Let our worship be sealed for God alone. Let our passions be bound by God's heart. May we stand for our benediction. Highland, this week as we go throughout this city and throughout this world, may you find yourself in a place of freedom. It is for freedom that you've been set free. Let your goodness, let God's goodness like a fetter bind our wandering hearts to thee. Father, here's our hearts. O take and seal it. Seal it for our courts above. Go in peace.